Welcome back. It is the third episode of Movie House. If you're a new listener, hello. I'm Ryan Snelling, host of this shindig. PJ Campbell is typically here, but he is on assignment right now. He is working on the Schmodown that is apparently in I guess it's recording live. I don't know if they live stream it or not. I'm not the best person to talk to about the Schmodown. <laughs> but regardless, there's a Schmodown happening in Orlando at the time that we are Produce. Fresh and local. That's what you'll find at Harris Teeter. We're committed to supporting our local farmers and their families. They're our neighbors and our friends. Produce gathered at the peak of freshness and delivered to us. Whether you shop in our stores or order online, you'll find the best local and regional produce for your table, grown not far from where you live. Harris Teeter, your neighborhood food market. Recording this, it's all good though. It's all good, because Austin Burke, host of Clicking and Streaming, answered my call. Austin, what's up, man? I, I answered. I didn't know what you wanted. I'm like, is, is Ryan, is he begging for my help again? But when you said <laughs> <laughs> when you said I was going to be on this show, I got so excited. I, I love, well, I love your all's chemistry, so I'm sorry if anybody was hoping for PJ. I know they do much better than I do, but I'm happy to be here, man. It's a, it's a pretty good topic this week. It really is. It really is. Let's pimp out clinking and streaming, though, for a second, because you've been crushing it over there, too. Last week, Chris Parker was there because I couldn't be there. <laughs> and uh, you all did a great job talking about uh, El Camino and all sorts of other things. So, guys, if you haven't checked out clicking and streaming yet, definitely do it. Austin crushes it over there. There's going to be an episode this week, of course. And uh, we're going to be talking about the Paul Rudd show. I keep forgetting what it's called. What's that show called? Uh, it's Living With Yourself. Myself? Yourself? One of those two. Yeah. Sneak preview. Have you already watched it today? I've watched four episodes. Um, not going to say much, but what I will say is if you love Paul Rudd, there's, there is so much Paul Rudd glory in this show. So it's it's definitely worth a watch, and I'm, I'm liking it so far. I'm scared to death to watch The Laundromat. I'm not going to lie. Laundromat, yeah. if, if you say it how it's spelled. Because Soderbergh, we don't have to have the conversation now, but Soderbergh is so hit or miss. So I'm kind of like dreading it only because I could not stand High Flying Bird. So mm. 2019 Soderbergh has been a miss so far. And judging by your reaction, uh, mm. maybe it's a miss again. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I actually kind of liked High Flying Bird. Uh, oh, okay. But I, I have to say, this is not... This is not doing it for me. Uh, I I'm, I still have to kind of ponder my thoughts a bit and, and think about it more. But okay. I did watch the movie, and it's going to be an interesting discussion when we talk about it. Film is obviously subjective. And you and I, we might have completely different takes on Zombieland Double Tap. I don't think that we do. But it's possible because, again, film is subjective. But High Flying Bird, like people enjoying that movie, people liking that movie, honestly blows my mind. <laughs> like it's cool. It's cool, but I don't get it. Okay. Like, I really don't. I just, I thought that was the most dry, boring mm. movie. It's the, it's maybe the most uninteresting sports movie ever because okay. it focuses on maybe one of the most uninteresting things in sports. I also think that like, co just compared to what makes Soderbergh, like Soderbergh's best stuff, I, I just think it is so far from it. I don't know. I, anyway, I personally had a lot of issues with it, but uh who knows? Maybe if you don't like the laundry mat, then maybe I'll love it for some reason. Well, I was going to say, did you like Unsane? 
Well, no, I, I really enjoyed Unsane. I was going to say, if you thought that movie was dry, The Laundromat is definitely not dry. Uh, it, it is very out there. It, it feels like he's trying to do a bit of Adam McKay uh, throughout the oh. entire movie. So there's definitely something mm. to it, but that something didn't work for me. And, and uh, the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, eh, we'll, we'll talk about it. Let's just say that. <laughs> Guys, that was your official sneak preview Ooh. on this week's coming episode of Clicking and Streaming. Yeah. There's a, it's going to be a good discussion, it sounds like. It we're, we're also going to have a good discussion here today. Zombieland Double Tap is uh, out this weekend, and uh, so that's what Austin is here for. And after that, we're, we did something a little bit different. After the discussion of Zombieland Double Tap, then uh, I'm going to say goodbye to you. I've pre-recorded a conversation with PJ. We saw uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot oh, yes. on Tuesday. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, man. Did you get that movie where you are? I did. And, and uh, just to get my two cents in there, man, what a Do it. fun time at the theater. You know, and I'm not going to sit here and say it was a good movie because I don't think it was, but I had fun with it. So I'm interested to see what you guys have to say about it. I I liked it quite a bit. Okay. I I don't think uh, I'm going to spoil the conversation later on, but I do <laughs> want to talk talk to you about this. Um, I don't think Jay and Silent Bob is Kevin Smith's best stuff. I just don't. I agree with you. I don't vibe with it as much. Yeah. They don't. They're better as supplementary characters, in my opinion, and I'm more interested in the chasing Amy's and the in the mall rats. Me too. But, yes. But it was still super enjoyable and. You know, it was just super fan servicey in the best ways. And I, t- I told PJ, I was like, these Kevin Smith movies are like the best inside joke in Hollywood. Like, <laughs> that's the y- best way y- to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're just a part of like an underground club and it's not for anybody else. Yeah. It, it really isn't. And, you know, we, we go back and forth. And, you know, every time like a Marvel movie comes out, like we dealt with this in Infinity War and Endgame, people online ask, could I take my girlfriend who's never seen a Marvel movie yeah. before? Would she enjoy Endgame? Well, compared to like her reaction if she just saw Jay and Silent Bob reboot without having seen any of the other Kevin Smith movies, absolutely you could walk into Endgame and not know what the hell came before <laughs> it. Because when you watch, if you watch reboot without having seen any of the other movies, yeah. you're gonna be fucking lost. Yeah. It's it's like Kevin these Kevin Smith movies, or at least everything leading up to this point. It's been like the best kept secret, and you just feel like you're a part of something that so few people are, and it's a re- really singular experience in that way. So uh, I'm glad you liked it. And I, to- I totally get the whole, like, I say that all the time. I-, I can see that, like, this isn't a good movie, but that doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy it. So I totally get where you're coming from well, with that. Well, I-, I said walking out of the theater, I'm like, there's no way critics are going to like this. Like, I, I don't see a, a decent st- score on Rotten Tomatoes. But the reviews that I've been reading, I, I think everyone gets it. Like, I think they understand yeah. what you were saying, the inside joke. And it's so great to see, man, because as a person, I think Kevin Smith is great. So it's nice to see this movie uh, doing super well with critics and fans. 64 at the time that we're recording this. Only 14 reviews are in, which I get. It's not really. I don't think the road thing has already started yet. The the road tour or whatever they're doing. So. No, yeah. I, that's, I think that's a fair score. I get it. It's It's super enjoyable, though, so. It's good, fun. good for them. It's fun. And and yeah. they're let me say, uh Muse, Jason Muse, his yeah. his best performance. He is so much better than he used to be, man. You can tell that guy has been putting a lot of work in. Uh and, and it's really great to see. And his daughter, uh Kevin Smith's daughter, man, good actress. 
really like her as an actress, so I'm excited to see more. You know what's interesting about that? I thought she was awful really? in her very first scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah first scene. When they, when they meet her in the bedroom, she was <laughs> just very, like, off-putting. Like, we were learning who that character was at that point, mm-hmm. but I guess what I'm saying is there was a difference in that opening scene versus sort of how she carried herself throughout the rest of it. Like, she was just being, like, really, like, ominous, and she was, like, clenching her teeth while talking too much and it was like really awkward and like i didn't even i didn't understand the acting like i guess i can get what she was trying to get across but i didn't understand a lot of the choices and then like i kind of got over it like she morphed out of it or something so i just really had a problem with that one scene but other than that it was fine um there was another thing i was gonna ask you about I can't remember what it was though. Oh, um, are you a big Kevin Smith fan in general? Like, have you seen most of his stuff? Yeah, I, I like his movies. I'm with you on the Jay and Silent Bob thing. I thought the first one was uh, good, not great, entertaining, and I feel the same way about this one. But overall, you know, like a Chasing Amy, a Clerks, Mallrats, stuff like that. Yeah, pretty big fan. I, I like yeah. what he does. Yeah. You were talking about Muse and uh, how much he's improved over the years. That's the reason why I like Clerks 2 way more than the first Clerks. Oh, and nice. I, I appreciate what Clerks did, and I respect the shit out of it, because Kevin Smith, he had this kind of stigma, at least in my in my opinion, and I, I'm not even well-versed on Kevin Smith. I, I'm just now watching all of his movies for the first time, actually. Cool. Uh, but Well, Clerks 2 I had already seen in Red State, and Tusk, which is the weirdest collection oh. of Kevin Smith movies to watch. Tusk. Oh. Um, yeah, I hated it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but Clerks 2, I think, is so much better than Clerks 1, because when you watch Clerks 1, you can tell that the actors just aren't experienced. And again, I, I get that it was an indie movie, I get that they shot it for cheap, I get that those were the first time those two people... I know, I get it. <laughs> but, when you watch the movie, you can tell that since they're so inexperienced, that they are reciting lines from a script, if that yeah. makes sense. All like right, I'm with you. The, the way, like, you can tell that each actor is just waiting to spit out their lines because it is so over. Like you can see the rehearsal of it and it doesn't actually feel like it's quite there yet. So that, that and I guess in a weird way it plays like music because it's, it's like a play almost, but not a, it's just off to me. So clerks too, I think everybody is just much more seasoned as an actor. And I, I just think it's funnier too. So well, I didn't anyway. even know the, the backstory with him. I watched a, uh, interview with kevin smith and he's like yeah i just thought this guy was funny i wanted to put him in my movies and so he he came out of basically nowhere in terms of wanting to be an actor like he was just a guy and you can see him improving it better you're talking better. about muse yeah muse man he came out of he was never even considered being an actor and kevin smith just right. said hey i want to put this guy in my movie and now Look at him in this film, and the fact that he's directed his first movie this year. I haven't seen it, right. uh, but he's really established himself in Hollywood, and it's great to see something like that because, from what I've seen, they're both really good guys in real life. But especially Jason Musman, I, I love watching an interview with him. He's so uh, he cracks me up. That's what I'll say. He's different. Uh, he's a little bit out there sometimes, but I, I love him in real life. He seems like a good dude. Have you ever watched the uh, like conversations with Kevin Smith, like those Q and A things that he does? Yes, just those are super interesting. Great, man. Their chemistry too. It, you see it carry over on the big screen, but it's just as good in real life 
as it is in their movies. It's incredible right. watching them talk to each other. Yeah, I love stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that was a good discussion. But let's get to uh, Zombieland Double Tap. So, I watched Zombieland, the first one, when it came out. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it like t- 2009, 2010, whenever it was, when it was out on DVD and Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. watched it in college. And... I, I never like had a fandom for it. It's not that I didn't even like it. It, it was just kind of like a movie to me. And um, I remember when Amazon tried to put out that TV series. Do you remember that? Did you ever watch that show? No. What was that? It was, well, Amazon, do you remember when they used to do that thing where they would like upload four pilots and fans could vote on which yes. series went to? So. Zombieland, the TV show, was one of those things, and I don't, I can't remember if it ever, if it ever got picked up for the full season. But I, I know that the pilot actually happened, and from what I remember, it's like all no-name actors. It's none of them return or anything like that. They're, they're playing the same characters, I believe. Ew, I don't if, like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm not the biggest. I can't even remember who any of the actors were. <laughs> but um, it didn't take you didn't even know that it happened. So that's how, and rightfully so. Like, it, it just kind of was erased from history. And uh, here we are 10 years later for Zombieland Double Tap. And so when I heard that this movie was coming out and the trailer was released, I kind of, I don't know, I just wasn't excited. Not for any particular reason, just because I didn't, like I said, have that lasting fandom for it over the years. Like, what were some of your impressions leading up to this thing? What's your history with this property? Man, uh, so... I'm with you. I didn't see the movie in theaters. I saw it on DVD, I believe that year or the next year. And I really enjoyed it, but I didn't love it like I thought I was going to love it because all of my friends had said, hey man, Zombieland, this movie's awesome. Yeah. And maybe it's where I was such a big fan of Shaun of the Dead, and I just think that's the superior uh, zombie comedy, and I still do to this day. I just didn't appreciate it as much at the time. So right. I went back recently about a year ago, tried to rewatch it, watched it again, and I'm like, I think I like it more, but I still don't know if I'm all the way there. Now, with this movie, and I'll just get into, you know, kind of my theatrical experience, I actually did the double feature. I, I did Zombieland 1 and 2, three hours at the movie theater, uh, so I, I got that. It was, I've never done that before, that's my first time doing that, uh, mostly because it was a day early, and I'm like, oh, I can see the movie early, but I wanted to see Zombieland on the big screen for the first time, and you know what? I like it so much more now. And maybe it's seeing it on the big screen, uh, getting that experience that I missed out on the first time. I still don't know if I hold it in high regard like some others do, but I think I kind of love the first movie for the first time. Ten years later, Ryan, I'm finally feeling that <laughs> way. Uh, and, and in terms of the second one, so the trailer comes out, not having the excitement level that I had watching the first movie in the theater. I said, okay, honestly, I don't think the trailer was that good anyway. And my biggest fear was seeing the character of Madison in the back seat in that scene in the trailer. I'm like, oh gosh, she is going to, she is going to ruin this entire movie. I didn't think the jokes worked very well. And Ruben Fleischer's coming off of Venom and I wasn't the biggest fan of Venom. So leading up to the second movie, uh, my excitement level was just not very high, man. Not going to lie to you. That's so weird. I was afraid that you were going to be like the world's biggest Zombieland fan. Because one thing I've learned over the past 10 years is that I was just the guy that didn't get it, apparently. Like, 
not only did I like see the movie, but it didn't really make a big impression on me. But I rewatched it yesterday, mm-hmm. right before I saw Zombieland Two, and it was like I was watching it for the first time again because I literally hadn't really remembered it except for the Bill Murray stuff. Yeah. So, like you, recently I gained this newfound appreciation for Zombieland, but it's like it. it I was so indifferent about it. Like, I didn't even have, like, the usual take that a lot of people have when 10 years later Hollywood decides to make a sequel about, like, a cult classic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, usually we're already hesitating and we're like, oh, it's 10 years later. They're bringing the cast back. It's going to be sad, pathetic. Like, I was so indifferent on Zombieland that I didn't even have that take. I just kind of, like, it was just happening. And, you know, sometimes it's okay to, like, be a fan of movies and a fan of film, but like not have the same fandom that everybody else has. Like I, I don't always get excited about everything just because it's a movie, if that makes sense. And you know, zombie land was just one of those things that I, I, I don't know. I just haven't really thought about. So it's, that's so weird that you and I line up in that way because I, I think for the most part, people really, really love the first zombie land. Yeah. And I think, Everybody else was more excited than we were, apparently, going into this. Well, I'm with That's you, so man. funny. It's, it's a whirlwind of, you know, for a movie to kind of turn into, and I think it is kind of a, kind of a zombie classic at this point, just because I think the sure. fandom is there, and, and it's resonated pretty well over the last 10 years, and so many people love the film, and, and it's odd not being on the other side of that, because, you know, I, I really enjoy the movie for what it is, but being on the outside looking in of the, the massive... Zombieland fans so you know and that was my kind of mindset going in seeing it on the big screen it's like is this really going to change my my thoughts and it kind of did you know and I, and I really liked going straight from and you said you you watched it right before as well straight from Zombieland 1 to Zombieland 2 because you get a better idea of the character progression and you you see and we'll get into it but you see how much Zombieland Double Tap kind of captures the world from the first and doesn't make too many changes and a lot of the times these comedy sequels will come out and they'll make unnecessary changes and they'll take unnecessary risks and at the end of the day those are my biggest issues with those movies but one thing that i thought zombieland double tap did good uh was they they kept the world consistent and they kept the characters even more consistent and i actually think the chemistry is is even better in the second than it was in the first so i like seeing all of those things carry over uh from one to two but i don't want to get too far ahead of myself but that that's kind of my mindset going into that second one it's also interesting because I think the the one joke that really helped, uh, like just because we watch these back to back, the rules Jesse Eisenberg spitting out those rules. Oh yes, it, they're kind of like the jokes work that much better. Like having if you just watch the first movie because they feel so redundant, but in like a very funny way. In a funny way. When yeah. you watch it in Zombie Land Two, like it felt like it was a direct continuation because he's just spouting off these dumb, stupid rules. And I don't know, like jokes like that really, really worked. And I don't know, I, I really think about that kind of stuff. It, it, it's, I, I, I don't know if I've ever examined like a joke working better. Uh, that way before because you know it's not like I'm watching I when Zoolander 2 came out I didn't feel the need to watch <laughs> Zoolander right before going into yeah, the theater but for some reason it just like even though 
we were indifferent, the way that we experienced Zombie Lane 2 just worked that much more in its favor. So that's really it's really interesting to me that we're sharing this experience. I'm not going to lie. I agree. I, I have you. no idea why, but I agree with you, man. And and you you speak of the rules and and how that kind of carries over into the second. You know, not having this crazy fandom, and I say crazy in a good way because it's a it's a good movie to have that kind of fandom for. But not having that, and then seeing all of these things that you love about the first come back in the second, I was sitting there shaking my head like, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm glad we're getting this. I'm glad they're staying consistent. And it, uh, it, it comes down to the stylistic nature of that stuff too, man. The, the text on the screen and even the slow-mo yeah. shots. I know it doesn't feel like something that should be in 2019. It's like, oh, we've moved past this. We're so sick and tired of this slow motion and, and the, you know, the graphics on the screen and, and kind of hearkening to Suicide Squad and all that stuff. But in a movie like this, it works really well. And, and I think capturing that 2009 spirit, because these are yeah. characters that, you know, they're still living in a world that did not have the life that we had over the last 10 years. So they're kind of still living in 2009, 10 years later. And I was afraid that they weren't going to keep that consistent. You know, I was afraid they were going to slip in a reference that's like, wait a second, that didn't exist in your world. But they didn't. They steered clear. There was one reference yeah. in the movie. This isn't a spoiler, but one reference where he uh, or she references Mall Cop. And I'm like, wait a second. I think Mall Cop came out after Zombieland. And then I looked it up. And no, Mall Cop came out in 2009. So it's just things like that. <laughs> they, they did a good job of uh, being very detailed in a comedy. And that's kind of rare if you think about it. Do you remember in Infinity War when Star Lord references a, a Bowflex? Yeah. And <laughs> I, I'll never forget parking up out of my seat and being like, "Wait a minute! Oh, no. How does he know what a Bowflex is?" <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and then it, I, I looked it up, and apparently Bowflex actually was a thing because I think Star Lord gets picked up in seventy nine, seventy eight, seventy nine. That sounds right. But. I was like, Bowflex was a thing in the late nineties. Oh, no. Wait a minute, but <laughs> no, right. but appara- apparently it actually was that old. But uh, yeah, that, yeah, it could have easily dated itself. And are, are we actually clear how much time has passed between these two movies? By the way, like because I think, well, I guess Trump would be president in this era because yeah. Zombieland happened during Obama's. Re- That's why Obama was pictured in the White House. So it's kind of like. There's also a level of of like alternate history at play yeah. here too. So it's yeah, okay. I just kind of I kind um, of assume ten years, but they they don't. I don't think they actually say. I, I would well, say it's like the, a real time thing, but I don't know. Yeah, the only obvious play is the fact that Abigail Breslin has aged so much. But then yeah. again, like a movie could say that she's like. 18 you know what i mean yeah, so in sure. that in that way the movie sequel double tap could have been like six years later so it just i'm not sure if we were ever clear on that it's not even really that big of a deal it's it's zombie land actually now that um, you say that i i do feel like they may have said 18 for her at one point was there was there a moment that they said that you might be onto something we, we need to look that up because that's really bothering so maybe, man yeah. you might be right so maybe it is six years yeah yeah i, I think you're right Dang, I didn't even know that. Interesting. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Ruben Fleischer for a second because this guy, mm. I uh, other than Zombieland, I don't think he's a very good director. I'm with you. Um, and they've been pushing the, the the marketing and the promotional stuff. They've been pushing from the director of Venom and Ugh. writers of Deadpool. Yeah. 
uh, they're not even, PJ made this point. They're like, they're not even mentioning that it's the same team from Zombieland. They're talking about Venom and Deadpool. It's like, well, yeah, that, that is a little peculiar, but I, uh, I think after seeing this movie and I don't want to go too far ahead, but I think Ruben Fleischer is really good at making Zombieland movies, yeah. but I have not been a fan of his outside of and I didn't even realize he was he's actually a pretty seasoned TV director and I, I didn't know this at all uh, I'm just now looking up his IMDB but he's directed uh, multiple episodes of uh, Superstore and Santa Clarita Diet oh so wow I wasn't really aware of that but I, I'm more so speaking to the Venoms and the Gangster Squads yeah. I like 30 minutes or less but it's like you've already said about uh, whatever Kevin Smith movie we were talking about uh, or uh, yeah reboot 30 minutes or less is not a good movie it's just yeah. like this weird movie that like I watched late one night and I find myself cracking up at it <laughs> even though I, it's it's not good yeah. but I enjoy watching 30 minutes or less so Ruben Fleischer has been uh, hit or miss for sure what's your history with him I uh, I just I, even after watching Zombieland, I'm like, this is a really great comedy, uh, but I don't know if I like the direction. That's that's another thing I had to kind of come around to. But I didn't like Venom. I think Gangster Squad is awful. I mean, just an awful yeah. movie. So I found out this past week that PJ likes it, and I oh, don't get it. Interesting. I don't know if I've talked to somebody who likes that movie, which is fine. I mean, there is a... And I think that's one thing. I'll say this. He does stylistic stuff. Uh, that's a great term. Well, like, his movies are very... Um, the, you can tell that he directs Venom, you can tell that he directs Gangster Squad, and you can tell that he directs Zombieland, three significantly different films, but they all feel the same to me. Now, one of those movies I like, the other two I don't, Gangster Squad really don't like, but I I do think when it comes to comedies, and I think that's why there was so much of that uh, wackiness in Venom, that I'm glad they're yeah. kind of moving away from, hopefully, with the next movie. You can tell he loves comedy. And that's why I think he thrives in the zombie land world. But I'll tell you what, even though I still, and I'm going to give it away, I still think I like the first zombie land just a tad bit more. I think this is actually his best job directing this newest movie. I do. I, I think this is the best job he's done. And uh, after this movie was over, I said, you know what? If he gets back into the comedy world, I'm excited to see what he does next. And if he doesn't, probably not going to watch it. That's how it goes. I agree with you. I'm a sucker for continuous shots. So yes. when they're at the when they're at the Heartbreak Hotel, Ooh, I was like, "Wait a minute, Ruben Fleischer, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, man? What's going on, Ruben Fleischer? Let's go." I love uh, the interview that he had like yesterday. I think where he was like, "Yeah, man, I don't get the backlash of Venom. I, I don't get <laughs> okay. the critic rating of it. Like, is there just a thing where like Marvel is the only thing that people like anymore?" And I was just like, "Ah." you made a bad movie <laughs> <laughs> like what do you mean you there's a marvel bias yeah uh you didn't show up mm -hmm. ruben you didn't yeah that was so nice. anyway sheesh um all right yeah let's let's uh let's break it down so how was your uh how over overall how do you feel about zombie land double tap you mentioned uh zoolander 2 a while ago that got me thinking ryan i'm like Let's think of all the times we've been disappointed with, with a comedy sequel. And I mean, you know, not slightly disappointed. I mean massively disappointed. It has happened, I would say, 
70, 80, 90% of the time over the last 10 years. These, these nostalgic sequels come out and they just completely disappoint from your Zoolanders to your Dumb and Dumbers to, you know, a lot of people were disappointed with Anchorman 2. I actually kind of like Anchorman 2, but even that you can say it was a disappointment. Zombieland 2 comes around and it's crazy because all of those movies I just mentioned, I was walking in pumped. And I mean, yeah. head over heels excited. I walked into Zombieland Double Tap going, all right, just be funny, I guess. Uh, <laughs> on that level, it really surprised me. I-, I had a great time with this movie. You mentioned the continuous shot. There are some great, great one takes in this movie, some great shots in general. I actually really dug the cinematography at points. Uh, I, I do think the third act is rushed, and we'll get into that here in a bit. Um, but overall, man, I can say I was locked in the entire time. And here's my number one rule when it comes to a comedy. Did it make you laugh? And guess what? I was laughing the whole time. And on that note, I think it did its job. I'm with you there. That's sort of my my curriculum, my criteria for comedy, too. You kind of just succeed if you laugh, you know, because because that's what makes it entertaining. And you just got to be entertaining. You got to find yourself enjoying the ride that you're on. And I think Zombieland Double Tap, it's one of the most unsuspecting successes for me. Like I've said before, I cannot believe that this movie not only succeeds as a sequel, it's, it's a really good movie. And I find myself enjoying the first one more. And I find myself like actually feeling like I'm a part of this franchise Mm. in a way. Yeah. Because I, I just didn't know that I'd be like now craving for Zombieland three, yes. which I am. I really am. Me too. Um, I like a lot of this movie. There's a couple things that I don't. I don't think are great. I don't think like the action. I don't think the action is great per se. Like mm-hmm. like I said, I'm a sucker for continuous shots, but I'm also kind of thinking about the the sequence under the uh, overpass, like with the bus and the ice cream truck. Yes. Like, it's kind of it's 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 not bad. I just kind of think it's regular. It's not outstanding in any way. Um, it's it's almost. It, I I had this take in the theater. Do you think that this is like one of the best video game movies that we have? Mm. And that that's a cheat, but it's like in in a way stylistically, it just feels like a lot of the time a shoot 'em up and maybe that's not giving it a lot of credit because a lot of the the bet I think the best stuff is the chemistry between the actors and the jokes but on the flip side I think it's also a great like shoot 'em up video game movie and it's the kind of movie we deserve like do you see that I yeah I've I've not actually thought about it that way but you think of um and this is in the first so it's not a spoiler when they do the kill of the week right or, yeah. or, or the kill of the month or whatever it is and they show the graphic on the screen like that to me is like pure video game goodness and the way that right. they handle the action I, i'm kind of with you on the action itself is not the best in the sequel i think it was much more um engaging in the first movie uh, but maybe that's because they focus a bit more on the characters in this film and that's understandable but man in terms right. of the action and the pacing and just the way they go about the graphics on screen yeah i'm with you this is very much a video game movie and if we're comparing it to the other video game movies we've had <laughs> it easily stands <laughs> above the pack in that sense Right. I mean, we're treating a little bit because obviously this isn't a video game, but it also very much so could be a video game. For sure. Like when when you just think of the characters, like I can I can imagine myself opening up a video game menu and selecting one of these players to play the game of Zombieland as. Like mm. I, I just 
I just think it stylistically it works. You you've already mentioned the titles, and yeah, this is probably stuff that we could have arrived at ten years ago. But yeah, um, I do want to throw it out there just because I think it adds to it for sure, and it's part of why this movie succeeds. I think so. Hands down, I think we agree on this. The character work, the interactions, yeah, the, the jokes. It, it was just thoroughly. Everyone is at the top of their game oh, here. Yes. Like. I find myself, I'm not a fan of Jesse Eisenberg um, at all, but that doesn't mean that I can't uh, find myself appreciating him in a movie like Social Network. I oh, think yeah. he's phenomenal. For sure. And uh, in these movies, I actually really enjoy Jesse Eisenberg. He's doing the Eisenberg thing, and they even make fun of that yeah, by do. getting uh, Thomas Middleditch in here <laughs> to sort of do an impression. Great. Which uh, I love the joke that Thomas Middleditch had in an interview. What He was like, they casted me because I'm a diet Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> I thought that just, awesome. it, it really worked. Um, and I want to give a shout out to, and I never know how to, how I want to pronounce her last name, but Zoe Dutch, Zoe Dutch, Deutsch. Zoe Dutch, Deutsch. whatever. She crushes it in this movie. Holy shit, man. She was great for this. I'm with you. Uh, her last name always kills me because I'm like, am I saying it right? I just say Dutch. It's probably wrong. Oh my God, man. She was my biggest fear. From the trailer, I saw her in the trailer, yeah. and I said, "This is gonna be a miss. It, why are they bringing in another team member? What's the point of having her in this movie?" But I looked—I looked past uh, uh, one little fact that I, I don't think I should have looked past. It's Zoe Dutch. She is great. She is one of the mm. best young actresses, just up and coming. And I guarantee, 10, 15 years, she will be nominated for some sort of major award. She is that good. But in this movie. Uh, she matches everyone, everyone's acting quality, and she brings it in the humor world, man. Her comedic timing may have outshined everyone in this movie, and, and yeah. this character is completely annoying, but that's what it's supposed to be. She nails it. She nailed it in every facet, and my goodness, I think she was my favorite part of the film, and I can't believe I'm saying that out loud, but she was awesome. Yeah, man, this kind of thing doesn't always work. It really doesn't. So I give Zoe all the credit in the world for just getting me on board with this. Because yeah. this could have been like, we could have had the complete opposite, easily opposite kind of conversation here, where we say that she is the worst thing about it because it, somebody or some actress just couldn't pull off this character yeah. and it's what brought the entire film down. Mm -hmm. Like, that easily could have happened here, but it didn't. And uh, she probably is one of the best parts for sure. I, I think there's a there's a lot of other character work in here that I like, like uh, Luke Wilson playing uh, Albuquerque <laughs> yeah. and Thomas Middleditch and Rosario Dawson for sure. That's great. Uh, that was super enjoyable, but she outshined like all of these heavyweights. Yeah. It's crazy. She could have been it the really Jar Jar is. of Zombieland too. Like it could have been that level of well, I like the movie, but uh, the character of Madison takes it down a notch. No man, she actually. I think she enhanced the movie. I think she made it better because yeah. without her presence, I don't think there would have been near as many laughs. So in the laugh department, I got to give it to her. She was just, oh gosh, I can't stop raving about her, dude. She's just so good. Not that I'm looking for a negative, but one negative spin could be that like this is kind of what causes the movie to focus less on Abigail Breslin's character. Yeah. Like she's... She's kind of placed on the outside a little bit. I think it actually works for the story. And overall, like, 
I'm kind of just thinking of it in a filmmaking perspective. Like, how do we make the third act interesting? How do we make it big? We have this tower, Babylon, it's pacifist. Like, all of that I actually like a lot. Mm -hmm. And in in the weirdest way, even though it's not, it's an alternate history, this is like a... This is like the most pro-gun movie I've seen this year, (laughs) which is funny because we had like John Wick and we couldn't let the fucking uh, hunt come out this year because of guns or whatever. Like this movie is pro-guns and it's kind of hilarious because you kind of don't pick up on it, but it it really, really is. (laughs) I haven't seen that criticism anywhere. Not that it matters, but I just thought it was interesting that they they definitely played up that route because they are are just ripping on pacifism and (laughs) anti-gun shit in this movie. It was kind of cracking me up. Yeah, Woody Harrelson, he's kind of the mouthpiece for that in this movie, because it's like every time they said that they were going to, you know, guns weren't the best thing ever, he would just come out and have a line that would crack me up. Yeah, I've not seen that. And after all the Joker controversy, you would think that this would be another topic. But on the Abigail Breslin thing, uh, not to shift too much, but I think part of that is the fact that she's just not been present in Hollywood over the last 10 years. I mean, I'm looking at her her resume here, and nothing stands out to me as something that I've seen other than Ender's Game. So I, I don't think they were writing around her, but I think they were giving her less of a role because maybe they knew that she couldn't keep up with these other guys. And I don't mean to say it like that, but she's, she's not been um, very present over the last 10 years, so I think that's probably why they did it. Well, I... I... <sighs> that's possible but I don't if that's true I don't like it and I don't want to agree just because I feel like that's pretty unfair because it's a sequel to a movie that she was in you know what I mean like she's clearly like number four on the call sheet in the first Zombieland yeah Um, but I feel like if that was the case and if that was a concern at the studio I mean I, I hate that they they played it that way because this could have been the movie that really had her shine. You know what I mean? Like Abigail Breslin could have shined in this movie if they gave her more to do, but I don't even know if any of that's actually, I don't know if that's part of the narrative here. It just happened to be something that they did with the character. I don't, I don't hate it per se. Uh, I don't, I don't hate the story, but she was just a casualty of it, I guess is really all that I'm saying. Now, that, but, uh, that may not be the case. I look at it kind of like the, the Carrie Fisher treatment in The Force Awakens, kind of like how she wasn't in the movie, and then when she was, she she wasn't that good, and you could kind of tell she's been out for a long time. I don't think that's the case with, yeah. with Abigail Breslin. I think she is a good actress. For me, she did not quite measure up. Zoe Dutch kind of comes in yeah. and, and destroys it, and she's there, and I'm like, oh, look, she's okay. you know. But I do like that character a lot, so I'm kind of with you on wanting to see a bit more of her in this movie, even though her storyline was um, uh, pretty funny, because I did like the character of Berkeley. He was, uh, he was a nice addition to this team. Yeah, and all signs point to them doing a Zombieland 3. I mean, oh, man, I, I, I so. feel like there's... There's a lot of hype. You and I are recording this on, well, it's my Saturday morning, so the the box office numbers aren't really out yet, so we don't know how successful it is, but people are really enjoying it based on all the reactions. Um, Is there a, is there a, yeah, it's 64%, which I think is low. It's the, is that the same tomato meter as Jane Silent Bob reboot? Wait, he's, it's down to a 64? Oh man, it it went down then. Jeez. That, with 127 reviews. I think that's super Ooh, unfair. Yeah. Dang. That stinks. 
Wow. That's shocking, man. Hmm. I think that's pretty unfair. I, I think it too. deserves at least a 75. <laughs> what the heck, um, man? Jeez. I, I know that that's not how Rotten Tomatoes works, but that's just what I expected. I'll, I'll word it that way. But, but well, anyway. even the uh, even the average rating is, is a 6 out of 10, and I, I think that's a bit... I get it, in a way, because I could see how some people don't love the movie, but I'm seeing some just kind of going down. I'm seeing some 2s out of 5s, some 4s out of 10s, and, and to mm. me, you know... Even if you don't think it's that great of a movie, I at least think it's going to make most people laugh. I don't know. Maybe I'm complaining too much, but that is very low, and that's kind of disappointing. I was going to say, I was thinking about where it would go on my letterbox list for mm-hmm. best movies of 2019. It's it's definitely in the top half for sure. I mean, I uh, I would put it up there like, it'd probably be in my top 15 easily. Yeah. I think it's, um, I have... Right now, I have Longshot at number eleven, and I th- oh, I like yeah. Zombieland two as a comedy more than Longshot. I think so. I'm I, that's um, about where I am with it. I I have it right where I have Longshot. It is because I've you know I'm at like almost two hundred movies, but it's easily in my top fourth, uh, and it it stands above the you know the seven out of ten pack, and it's it's slowly moving up. I actually moved it up a couple spots after thinking about it. So it's one of those movies, man. It, it it's a comedy that sticks with you, maybe not because it makes you think. But just because you think back to how great the jokes were, and uh, yeah. in 2019, man, <laughs> you can't say that about a lot of comedies. So I'm right. so glad it ended up nailing the comedy because because that's the best part of this franchise is how funny everything is. I want to speak on uh, your one criticism of the third act, which I also totally agree with. Yeah. It is it is very rushed. Yeah, it, I I appreciate creatively what it is and like visually like i i liked it i just don't think they executed it properly it's it's super rushed compared to everything else in the movie and uh, just wasn't that fulfilling overall and i think it's the one glaring weakness of the entire thing i'm with you i was very upset when because the first two acts i was honestly on the on the i think this is better than the original side i really i was loving it man and then the third act comes along and they kind of just rush through a bunch of plot points and and they tie up all of these storylines and it's over it it ended so quickly and i'm just like that's it you know it's one of those films that flies by in the best way but i could have used maybe 15 more minutes i could have used some more time uh, to yeah. kind of stretch out that story a bit more, just because it's not to go into detail, but it's kind of like they're at the thing, the the things show up, and then it's over, and it's just it goes by so quick, and you're just like, wait a second, what happened to all these characters? Why aren't we? And I, I needed more from that third act, I really did, and and a lot of these storylines they were tied up. Not going to say which ones, but they were tied up in a nice bow, and it just felt too clean. I guess maybe that's setting up for a third, but I was very disappointed with the third act. Not enough to say it, it ruined the experience because it definitely didn't. It was still funny, but I was disappointed. So without spoiling it, there's one minor character who's responsible for what happens in the third act that is set up about halfway through the movie in the second act. Yeah. And I don't think that character made enough of an impact for me to actually care like it's supposed to be like a a moment where the crowd cheers or whatever but just because i felt that it was hurt the the setup of this character was like so kind of like 
empty. Yeah. That it didn't give me, it didn't rouse me up in the in the third act. So I, I just don't know if the seed was planted in the best way there. Do you know what I'm getting at? I know exactly what you're talking about. It it um I don't think that paid off like they wanted it to. And I, I think that was the the writers yeah. they just oh this is gonna you know this is gonna really hit the nail on the head and everybody's gonna appreciate what we did here. And I, I don't think that worked out very well. well I like the character yeah a lot but yeah. you know it just didn't I'll, work I like the character and I like the actor but Love, it, yeah. and I think th- this movie has a lot to say it, it's very much about the future for all of these characters yes. and this this thing in particular the seed that was planted it's kind of supposed to help Tallahassee yeah uh it decide what he's going to do with the rest of his life. So I appreciate it from that aspect, but it's just sort of, I think some of the writing and some of the character work that's done, it's just, it's not, it's not the best part of the movie for sure. But at the same time, it's not like I hated it or anything. So yeah, it didn't ruin what they were going for. And it makes sense uh, with why they did it just because I think the star kind of warrants that, but I don't think the character warranted it. I, I didn't get that. Uh, that build up in the movie, so I guess I just didn't appreciate that moment, like the, what they were going for. But yeah, it's it's one of those things. I mean, you get a comedy like this, you get those moments that you're just like, okay, where's the funny? And we got the funny, and we got the funny after that. So it, it kept delivering on the laughs. So these these script nitpicks that I could go into, um, they they didn't mean as much, I guess, is what I'm getting at, as you yeah. would think from my nitpicks. So, well. Is there anything else to say about Zombieland Double Tap before we head out of here? I'm trying to think, man. I, I mean, I, I'm just shocked. Like, are you not just shocked with how... Because you're in, you're in the same camp as me with how much you enjoyed this? I mean, the experience... Did you have as good of a theatrical experience as I had? Because, man, our, my theater was laughing. We were cracking yeah. up a great time at the movies for sure. I definitely think my theater enjoyed it, like almost in an annoying way. There was a, a couple of uh, girls in front of me that appeared to be my age, but they seemed to have like the maturity level of like an eleven-year-old. So <laughs> they were like uh, overly laughing at some of like the like jokes that were in there, but like weren't. Mm, how do I word it? Like, just easy jokes that any movie makes. Like, not even the best ones that have to do with zombies. Just, like, kind of easy comedy that's in every movie. Like, like, this is an example that's not in the movie, but, like, uh, the the kind of, like, he's right behind me, isn't he? Kind of humor. (laughs) Where, like, two characters are talking about another character that's standing behind. Like, that kind of, like, easy comedy that any movie does. Like, they were overly laughing at, like, that kind of comedy, which I thought was very strange, but... uh, they, hey, they enjoyed it. Uh, the theater definitely enjoyed it a lot. And uh, like I said, I think this is a crowd pleaser without without a doubt. I think it's going to make a lot of money. Still can't see the report yet, but uh, mm. I think this is an overall success for uh, the team over there. And I think we're going to fast. We're going to see a Zombie Lane three a, a lot quicker than we got a Zombie Lane two. So I hope so, man. It's the first time in my life I've said I I want. I am kind of begging. For this franchise to continue, because you know, Zombieland One was yeah. good. Don't know if I need a sequel. Now that we have a sequel, and it's made me appreciate this universe that much more, it's like, give me Zombieland Three. I need this in my life right now, especially when comedy's not as good as it used to be. Uh, so I just, man, I, I had a great time. What a great movie to to kind of end off 2019. A lack of a lack of comedy 
this year, I, I think, compared to other years. You know, last year you had game night. Uh, you had blockers, stuff like that, that yep. hit really hard. And this year, you know, we've had book smart, we've had long shot, but nothing with the gut busting laughter that I think Zombieland Two had. So in that sense, it nailed it. I've been super hard on comedies this this past decade. I think it's single handedly the biggest failure in in Hollywood I'm with this you. decade is, uh, yeah. and, and that's in a world where DC shit the bed. Um, I think the biggest failure in Hollywood was comedies this past decade, wow. without a doubt. Yeah. Um, Zombieland does a couple of things. I, I've criticized comedies for just using movie references, which is actually something Marvel does that I don't care for. Yeah. I don't like jokes just being references to other movies. So, yeah. And my favorite comedy of last year, Game Night, does that a lot Ooh, too. Yes. Game Night just makes a lot of movie references. It does. And it's like, it's, it's, it's cute, and it's but it's only worth a laugh the first time you watch it. It's yeah. never funny. Like I just don't think movie references work that well. Um, and they also date a movie over time. Um, another thing that Game Night does, even though I, it sounds like I hate Game Night. I love Game yeah, Night. Too, but another thing Game Night does that I wish other comedies didn't do, like a lot of comedies come out and they're like the ride-alongs of the world and the central intelligence, central intelligences. Yeah. Like I don't like. I don't like how like a lot of comedies just seem to play the the trope of like an ordinary person gets involved in an extraordinary situation involving like mm. drug kingpins. Yeah, like it, it's always like they accidentally fell into crime or like some kind of issue with with the drug kingpin of some Wait, kind. Like uh, that specific story beats annoying. To are me. you describing every Melissa McCarthy movie? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> I think that's uh, I think that's what you're doing. I, I believe I did, okay. yes. I mean, it, it's not that I can't enjoy them, but I think it's just it's just so played, and I wish that comedies were... Like, I, I miss the old-school Adam Sandler-type comedies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, so. that, well, I think it all comes down to the execution, too. You, you keep going back to game night, and I'm with you. They, they did all of the things that we both don't like, but they did such a great job with it. Like, and it felt it was realistic in yeah. a way, but then it's so off kelter. It's just a, it's a great balance. It's the perfect combination. And, and that's a movie that I think is, is the prime example of what these studio comedies should look at and say, let's do what game night did. Let, let's take that and improve it as much as we can. Cause that movie is the best comedy of last year for sure. Or let's take another genre, flip it on its head mm. and then, give it great characters yeah. and great dynamics yeah. and let's make people laugh. And that's what, that's what zombie, but that's what both zombie lands are for sure. So, for sure. So I'm glad, I'm glad this happened right now. It just, it just hit the spot. So I think that's why we find ourselves liking it so much. I agree with you, man. Um, you have already reviewed this on your YouTube channel. Tell me a little bit about that. I did. Uh, Austin Burke on YouTube um, came right out of the double feature, did did the Zombieland 1 on the Patreon, did the, the 2 on the YouTube, and, and um, were basically what I do with clicking and streaming is what I do on my YouTube channel, man. It's a lot of, a lot of Netflix, a uh, couple of breaking news stories, but I do love the theatrically released movies. Did that and uh, Malficient. Mistress of Evil. Both of those videos are on there now. <laughs> well, 
I'm going to let you get back to it because it is it is Friday. And uh, t- I think I said it was Saturday earlier. I don't know. I, I lose track of my days since I don't have a job. But regardless, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Friday. It's the day that you watch all of your Netflix content so you can uh, have it up in time for your YouTube channel. So I'm going to let you go. Thanks, uh, guys, stay tuned uh, because coming up, it's m- myself and PJ Campbell. And we're going to talk about our experience with uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. So again, Austin, thank you so much for joining me You're on this welcome. special episode of Movie House and uh, let the people know, other than we we know we, we can find your content, but where the, can they find you personally online? You guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, all of those wonderful things at the Birkinator Letterboxd as well. I know, Ryan, you mentioned that. Uh, that's where I kind of, my OCD kicks in and I put all my movies and lists and whatnot. But yeah, man, always talking about movies. Appreciate you having me. You and PJ uh, do a great job on this show. And I'm glad people finally get to listen to what they want to listen to because PJ, you're, you're the man. <laughs> all right guys stay tuned for that conversation and uh clicking and streaming with myself and austin here in a couple of days so how jealous are you that you didn't get to record the uh zombie lane 2 review with us you are such an asshole but hey i'm in orlando right now i was gonna say why sh- why should you be mad at me when you get to go to florida i invited you I mean, look, I'm really going out when? there because of the schmodown. When did you invite me? I definitely always invite you to go everywhere. Mm. It's like you're my hetero life mate or something. Weren't you <laughs> gone the entirety of today somewhere I had no clue where you were? Yeah, because my car battery died because you definitely wanted to be there for that. Right. Thank I mean, thank God you weren't there. Right. Thank God you didn't invite me to that because <laughs> that would have been my... Yeah. My hell. Well, it all started because last night when we got back from the movie, I walked in and my Yankees hat was laying on the ground and had been chewed to bits by the Corgis, so I had to go on a mission to get a new hat, which led to my car battery oh, dying. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah. So it was a series of unfortunate events. Did you ever end up with a hat? Yeah. I oh, got okay. two today, actually. I feel really good about it. That's good. You know, fuck my Corgis. I love them to death, but Whoa. it's just rude. Yeah. But, Speaking of that, I thought, weren't they... Supposed to go with your parents tonight? Yeah, um, my dad delegated that to you. What does that mean? It means you get to watch them while I'm in Florida. While I'm in Florida right now, you're watching the dogs. Am I really? You really are. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Guys, this is brand new information that broke on the podcast. How about that? That's crazy. He, he's not afraid that I'm going to kill him? I really don't know. But we had this very nice talk over dinner, and he was like, well, this is their house, and Ryan lives here now, so they're going to stay with their house with Ryan. I mean... Hey, I don't mind. It's it's fine. I just... I, I was, was going to tell you once we got done recording. I, I was under the impression that they had sort of already de- decided that that was going to be the case, I so had, it just sounds like a weird thing. I had thought that too, but, you know, things okay. happen. Um, here we are. We'll see how it goes, man. Snoogans. You're going to be in Florida, and I'm going to text you and be like, hey, so, by the way, uh, where's the dog food? <laughs> I know you told me before, but I forgot. <laughs> Even though there's only, like, three places that it could be. Anyway, yeah, we're recording this early, but it's all good. We got to see Jane Saw the Bob reboot earlier in the week. It had the, the screening on Tuesday. Yeah, the Fathom event. Which was a really nice little thing to be able to check out. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was good. It was nice. We we've checked out three theaters since I moved to Arizona. We've been to uh, the Loft to see the Joker. We went to a Harkins theater to see Gemini Man, and then we went to an AMC. And I think it's my first time being at all of them. Like I didn't even know Harkins was a company until right. I got here. And AMCs aren't. 
prevalent where I come from. So. But they're huge in Overall. most of like sure. the country, I think. Absolutely. Which is why they, I guess, announced a streaming service the other day or something. Yeah, people were bringing that up. It, it's not even... It's a streaming service, but it's not... It's just another streaming service. It's Nothing just, it's, special. It's just another Voodoo and iTunes. Well, it's not iTunes anymore, but you know, it's just... Yeah, it's yeah, another it's streaming need, service. Right. Yeah. And it's not necessary. It's not... It's not a streaming competitor. No. Like, y- you can't compete when you just have a library of, of movies for sale. Especially when it's basically Paramount and Lionsgate, it sounds like right now. Like, those are the big yeah. two that are going all but in like, on it. But, like, you you can't compete because people just decide what they're going to go with. You know what I mean? Like, one day I decided I'm going to be a Voodoo customer, and then that's just what I did. I don't feel like Apple whatever the hell so i don't feel like that's a competitor because they have the literal exact same shit so it's not it's not the same thing so i don't know why it's even a story who cares we kind of just don't even need it at all to be honest no and that's what i mean like when i saw the news the other day i just didn't care it wasn't good or bad or otherwise it was just a thing that happened and i was like cool i guess it it's a thing but that's not why we're here yeah tangents so this is the first recorded conversation I've ever had, I think, about Kevin Smith, to it's my It's definitely not my first, but I'm really excited to have it because we've like deep-dived into Kevin Smith's early filmography yeah. over the last week together. Right. Because I'm a massive Kevin Smith fan. Um, I don't think that was oddly not apparent, as we've talked about him quite a bit the last two weeks, uh, mostly my side, because... He was a filmmaker for a long time who spoke to me in a way that no other filmmaker had really spoken to me before. I'd never heard my voice coming out of characters until I saw Clerks and Mallrats. And then, so why is that your voice? Like, explain that. Because no one speaks nerd quite like he does and speaks geek. Like, Mallrats is a series of conversations of things that you would actually talk about with your friends in middle school and high school when it came to nerdum and stuff like that. Right. No one in the mainstream was doing that. And it's not even like Kevin Smith was in the mainstream, if you will. He's still one of the more prevalent indie filmmakers who's kind of continued to do his own thing, but in a semi-mainstream attitude. But he's never shied away from just being himself, which is why things like Tusk and Red State exist. Yeah. On top of Clerks and Jersey Girl and, you know, Dogma, Zack and Miri. Like, Kevin Smith is the guy. And if it wasn't for those evening with Kevin Smith, uh, like, stand-up routines almost, if you will. Q&As. The Q&As. I don't know if I would love him as much or just the art of movie making in a way like those open the doors to so many stories about filmmaking and stuff like that, that you would never really hear from people in quite a candid way in his very topical and interesting demeanor. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Kevin Smith over the years, he's gone on tour and done like Q and a sessions. It sells out theaters. Uh, He's been doing it for a long time. And that's something that you've shown me since I moved into the house because we were kind of anticipating Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Um, so we watched a lot of these Q&As, which are just great for film fans. And, oh, yeah. And I'm not, at the time, I wasn't even like steeped in Kevin Smith mythology. Um, I told you and I admitted that uh, this is the first time I've ever talked about Kevin Smith. It's because I'm, I'm just, 
not at all familiar with his work, really. Uh, I'm familiar with him as like a personality and a pundit, and I'm, I've followed him the past couple of years. He's obviously a notable person, so you kind of can't help but hear his name and hear somewhat of what he's doing when you're in the space. Absolutely. Um, I, I think, I think uh, in this space, especially with his podcasting and stuff, it would be impossible for us not to know who he is. Right. Yeah. That's kind of like, that. that's my Kevin Smith. Like sure. the f- uh, fat man. Fat man on Batman. Uh, Batman or- yeah. Like that's the kind of stuff I, I've watched um, up until the past couple of weeks. The only Kevin Smith movies I had like really seen, like set down from start to finish, purposefully seen, were Clerks 2. Red State and Tusk. And that has to be maybe. Can you think of a more bizarre three Kevin Smith movies to have seen? No, absolutely not. There's no way to like figure out from those three movies who Kevin Smith is. <laughs> no, and the funny thing about that is like we just watched a QA about T- Tusk. No, I watched an interview. I think it was one with Peter Travers and Kevin was talking about the marketing for Tusk and how he had purposely left the walrus out and stuff like that. And it's amazing that that movie didn't do better in theaters because of it. But at the same time, even you saw it in Kentucky. You know what I mean? Like it's found a weird theaters. No, but what I was going to say is after it got out of theaters, it found a weird life on home video and like streaming and things like that. So for your Kevin Smith movies to be clerks to Tusk and red state, it's just such a weird compilation of his work that has a very specific voice, but it's not the voice that most people would associate with him outside of Clerks 2. Yeah. I think I saw Clerks 2 just because I saw the trailer and I thought it was funny. I kind of didn't even know what it was. Sure. I mean, I'd heard the names Jane, Silent Bob. I knew who they were, but I didn't know what they were in context of the story and the series of films. I saw Red State. I was working at Blockbuster at the time, and I just caught wind that this was like the first this thing that Kevin Smith has ever done. I watched it, loved it. And then Tusk was because a friend of mine was a big Kevin Smith fan and we just happened to want to watch it. And uh, I absolutely hated it. And so, honestly, I've dreaded a little bit to going back and doing what we've done the past couple of weeks. So I've pretty much watched uh, from Clerks up until Clerks 2 for the very first time the past couple of weeks and I, I've had a hell of a time, man. Um, I don't, I definitely don't love them as much as you do. Like, you're definitely a, a super diehard Kevin Smith fan, but it has definitely felt like it's opened up this brand new door. Sure. Um, for me, anyway. Hey, man, it was fucking special for me. Like, you don't have to understand it, but there's something about being able to share with your friends, like, the things that mean the most to you. If you know what I mean, yeah. There's just always that feeling, like it's the first time if you get to show someone Star Wars and they've never seen it, or you know whatever something means to you. When you open up yourself like that and get to share it with people, it's really fucking cool. And so that's kind of how I felt the last couple of weeks as we dived into this, because Kevin Smith, like I said, since I was in like sixth grade, has been a huge part of my life. I'm almost thirty, and. Every one of his movies speaks to me in a very specific way Hmm. and hits me in a very specific spot of my life, depending on my memories of when I saw it or rewatching it now. Like Clerks 2 speaks to me in a way that is fascinating for someone who's turning 30 in, you know, just a couple of months. Right. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I get it. It's, I really like that perspective. It's something that I obviously 
don't have, but growing up the way that these characters are sort of grown up and it, it sounds silly, but I mean, it's very much a part of, especially clerks too. It's very retrospective. Mm-hmm. It's very, you know, it's about the struggle of growing up and, and what's the grow- next phase of your life. Yeah. Growing out of the previous. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, man, that's that's another thing too. Is that like I, I think the stigma, at least f- from what I heard over the years, Kevin Smith. I don't know. I, I his fans obviously take him seriously, but it never seemed like the movie community. It never seemed like other filmmakers took Kevin Smith seriously sure. in a way. So I've always just had this weird impression of him, wrongfully so, about his movies. So I've just they've never really excited me ever. And so that's another that's another thing, man. It's a another reason why this has sort of opened the door for me because I uh, I kind of can't believe some of the things that we've seen. I, I talked a lot about how much I've kind of fallen in love with Ben Affleck all over, the, all over again because he's shown me a different dynamic. He's playing different beats than I've ever... I've never seen him play the beats that he plays with Kevin Smith. And um, I didn't realize how much Matt Damon and Ben Affleck had done inside Kevin Smith movies. I kind of just thought they did the Goodwill hunting that one time. Right. Uh, so I don't know, just kind of as a movie fan, seeing all the cameos and seeing where all these actors from Kevin Smith movies have gone, like a lot like Jason Lee, his, he wouldn't be Jason Lee without Kevin Smith. And like, just like, honestly, Ben Affleck wouldn't be Ben Affleck without Kevin Smith. Sure. I mean, there's a big part of from going to mall rats to Goodwill hunting to chasing Amy that like is such a trajectory for him. In a lot of ways, and you know, Kevin helped get Goodwill Hunting going by becoming a producer on the film. He also pushed for him to play Matt Murdock and Daredevil, right? Probably, it, probably pushed somebody to get him to be Batman, whether it was Ben or or whoever, Zach or whoever. But and I'm in total agreement with you. By the way, like I think Ben is doing a lot of his absolute best work with Kevin. He always has. Chasing Amy is still probably my favorite performance he's ever given. Yeah. Uh which actually incidentally we'll get to talking about this film. It features maybe the best performance he's given in a Kevin Smith film in what is arguably my favorite scene in the entire View Askew universe. <clears throat> Let's talk about Jane Solomon Ball for a second. So I was sitting there watching uh Strike Back with you. I didn't ask you at the time, but I was wondering if, like, if that movie came out now, do you think people would criticize it? Because Jason Mewes is still, like, kind of a nobody. Like, even, like, right now, Jason Mewes is a nobody, unless you're a Kevin Smith fan. Well, I think that's the thing at this point. Did I, hold on. Did I finish the th- my thought? It was th- the idea being, like, would it be weird for him to carry a movie on his own in this way? Especially when his counterpart doesn't speak. Like, I feel like that's a very, like, non-2019 thing that could happen. It definitely is a very non-2019 thing, but I think that's why I've always liked Kevin Smith in a lot of ways. He's the atypical director, you know? He doesn't do a lot of the things that everyone's waiting for him to do. And that's why he's always consistently one of my favorite filmmakers in the entire world because he's never doing the thing... You expect him to do. Yeah, he's always trying to subvert your expectations. Whether it is putting someone like Jason Mewes front and center of a film that is literally a film made for his friends and family and fans, 
and it's one big inside joke whether you know and that's not just reboot that's mm. strikes back as well yeah that movie works only really if you're a fan of the material is it clever yes and you might enjoy it but being a fan helps exponentially it's also why we end up with yoga hosers and tusk and red state he's making movies for himself now he just wants to make whatever comes to his mind and i kind of love that so it is not the thing that we would expect, and there might be pushback, but at the same time, I mean, a lot of indie films as they are, we put people in it that we don't necessarily know to lead. Mm. You know, that's kind of the beauty of indie filmmaking is you get the freedom to do the things that you want. And maybe maybe the other thing, too, and it's maybe not fair to compare it or contextualize it nowadays because indie films back then were bigger than indie films are now. Like, just because the amount of movies that come out, it's greater than ever. And so many indie films get lost, whereas, you know, indies were, like, really hitting their stride in the 90s back then. So, it's a completely different landscape. So, maybe that's not even fair to try to compare it. And it's so crazy to think, I mean, in the context of everything, that Kevin Smith came up at the same time as Tarantino and Rodriguez. You know, all three of them came up in, like, 94. Same with Richard Linklater. They all kind of came up at the same time through the Weinsteins and their indie films. Like, there was such an indie revolution in the 90s, and Kevin was such an important part of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a lot lost nowadays because everyone still talks about Tarantino and Linklater a little bit with things like Boyhood and stuff like that. But, I mean, Tarantino's the only one that people still look at as, like, god filmmaker these days you know but at the same time someone like kevin who has consistently worked from now till then doing the things that he wants to do it's fascinating that we've kind of forgotten about him what to you are like the three pillars of kevin smith like like what are the three biggest things that he's known for what are like the three biggest things that share his identity like Jay and Silent Bob is probably like those characters and that sure. idea is one of the pillars. Absolutely. Um, I would say dialogue. Okay. Like I think every one of his movies, it's the dialogue. That's why we keep coming back. That's okay. part of the reason I think cop out didn't work. We talked about that last night when you were t- asking me about it. He didn't write it. Like it's a big part of why that movie doesn't work is it doesn't have his voice. It doesn't have his dialogue. These characters go on Shakespearean monologues about comic books and their sex lives and what it feels like to be in this world in ways that no other character talks in any other movie. There's people who've tried to replicate it. And then there's guys like Apatow who are like, I saw what Kevin did, but instead of writing anything, I'm just going to let people, you know, spitball and just do whatever they want to do in my films and that's not a dig apatow does great work but there's one kevin smith and that dialogue is a big part of that pillar what's the third one i would almost say his cast or his world in a way like if you think about it because it was this specific cast i mean i know you said jay and silent bob but in a way it's i guess not cast but his friends because when you look at his movies, all of his films are built around his friends. Uh, universe. Yeah. You could, yeah, you could use that word to kind of encompass all of it. Well, I mean, just his friends in general, I mean, as being in the cast, mm-hmm. whether it's Jason Lee, whether it was Joey Lauren Adams, whether it was Jason Mewes, you know, all of these people are his family now. And right. every one of these movies is populated by the people he loves most. I mean, he talks about it all the time in his Q&As. Is like, people kept telling him, you can't just be making movies with your friends. And he's like, what, really? 
because that's all I want to do is just make movies with my friends. And that's continually what he's done. Do you think, which one do you think is the most important? As far as the pillars? Yeah. I mean, arguably, in my opinion, it's the dialogue, but I I mean, the obvious answer is Jay and Silent Bob. Was it? Is it obvious? Because yeah, that's, absolutely. That's the one that I definitely was not going to pick. Really? Because I think without Jay and Silent Bob, there's no Kevin Smith career. Well, think about it. Every one of his films for a long time, they had to have some sort of part. He always had to find a way to put his voice into those characters. I will... I will agree with that statement because he he made several movies that utilized them before actually making a movie about them. So they were definitely along for the ride the entire time, I guess. But what I'm going to pull is that I don't think the best Kevin Smith is when those characters are front and center. I think they're better as supplementary to whatever they're in. And I don't disagree with that. But I still think that their existence makes them the most important pillar, if that makes any iota of sense in our conversation. Because without them, I don't know if these movies continue in a way. Because every one of these films, yes, he could get a made on like next to no money. Yep. But I think that the importance of having those characters there was part of the reason they'd end up getting funded. Because you're con- kind of continuing a franchise in that way. And you can sell it on... This is my big idea. Something like dogma doesn't normally happen if you are trying to make it. But you say it's a like a religious comedy, but through the eyes of Jay and Silent Bob, suddenly studios go, okay, I'm in, or I'm curious, let's talk about it. And Jay and Silent Bob was definitely the thing that I was aware of, having not known his movies. Right. So, for example, like we started watching Chasing Amy, and as we're going along, we meet Joey Lauren, Joey Lauren Adams' character. And what's her name in the movie? Allison? Allison. Allison. And I turned to you and was like, why the hell is her name not Amy? Like, I didn't know that that was an anecdote that Silent Bob speaks. Like, so I knew Jane Silent Bob for years, but I didn't know little details about that. Like, Jane Silent Bob clearly are the thing that are in the zeitgeist over some of this other stuff. So that's fair. Um, I guess I was giving them a strike for... I, my favorite thing isn't Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Uh, it's basically what I was getting to. No, um, and that's absolutely fair. Um, but I will say that this reminded me a lot of my... Um, it, this reminded me a lot of my introduction to Harry Potter. So when I was a kid, I read the first two books like when I was a kid kid. And then I did like a reread and then finished like half of Goblet of Fire. And I had only seen the first two movies for the longest time. I just didn't grow up with them the way that so many other people have grown up with Harry Potter. So, it came time, 2012 I believe, it came time for Deathly Hollows Part 2 to come out, the finale. And I was so, I was just very much anticipating that experience. I wanted to know what it was like to experience that last Harry Potter midnight showing with diehard Harry Potter fans. So I binged all of the movies up until that point for the pretty much for the mostly the very first time ever. That's how I learned the story of Harry Potter because I didn't finish the books. And that's how I prefer it. I talked about that on another episode, I think. But um, and I had a blast and I, I love that experience. So very similar 
leading up to Jay and Silent Bob reboot, watched all these movies for the very first time, and I had a bl- had a blast. And maybe we should do maybe like a Kevin Smith filmography. Maybe we'll break down movie by movie. I would love to do that. I would love to. I mean, we're not done. Yeah, we could definitely do that after we're like done with his entire filmography. Like we skipped over Jersey Girl. We yeah, um, we haven't watched Cop Out. We haven't done Red State. I, I mean, would you've love seen to rewatch it. Red State though. Right. I so, mean, and it's the perfect time to do it. It's the spooky season, my friend. So so maybe we will do that. But um, leading up to this movie specifically, I was very excited to. To sit there with you, a longtime fan, I was excited to be there with, like, because, and we're going to talk about this too, how it's such a singular experience. I knew that I wasn't just going to walk into a theater filled with, like, diehard movie fans. Sure. The the movie fans that show up to, like, every Thursday night premiere every week because they love movies. No, this is different. This is pretty much entirely about Kevin Smith and... It's very unique to me, very unique in this landscape, and I was thrilled to death to be there with you guys. Oh, and I got a poster, which I think is still in your car. It is. It is currently in the backseat of my car, which is, you know, not where it belongs. We need to hang those up. But I I think that's the thing is I'm always going to be excited when Kevin Smith does a movie. It doesn't matter if it's Yoga Hosers or if it's Jay and Silent Bob yeah. reboot or if it's Clerks 3, like... Kevin Smith for me is going to put me in the theater no matter what because he is still singularly such a unique voice in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And anytime you go to one of these screenings, you're surrounded by people who want to be there. It's not just going to be like the casual person walking in and they're like, ooh, what is this? No, they're there because they love Kevin Smith and they want to be in that moment with his films. Like, I will never forget seeing Yoga Hosers with a group of people who wanted to be there because Yoga Hosers is not necessarily a very good movie. But there's such a unique voice to it that being in a room of people who appreciate that voice Mm -hmm. and enjoying it in that moment with you, there's nothing quite like it. And I'm always going to kind of embrace that and enjoy that movie because of it. That made it an experience. And I feel that that was very similar to last night going into this. That's not a uh, talk about the quality of the film because I actually think this is a much better movie than Yoga Hosers. But... It's the singularity of being in a room with people who want to be there. Totally. Go further. Go well, on into... Look, uh, man. How'd you feel about it? I adore this movie. I think that it's significantly different than the first one in a lot of ways because I think it's got a much bigger heart. It's a lot like Clerks 2 in what it's very reflective, and I find that that actually makes it a better film because I think that it allowed... Jay and Silent Bob as characters to grow in a way that you maybe weren't expecting to ever see on film. I also think that for what it's worth, it wasn't made for very much and you can kind of feel it, but I think that the movie's so cleverly made at the same time that you're able to look past it because it really felt like being with friends again, at least for me. It was like sitting down with people that you hadn't seen in a long time and you were just like, fuck man, I missed you and it's so good to catch up. Like That's the thing about Jay and Silent Bob, both Strikes Back and Reboot. The one thing I'm always going to like about both these films, and I thought, especially with this one, because 18 years has passed between now and or strikes back and now. Mm-hmm. So we haven't seen almost any of these characters outside of Dante and Randall in 18 years. And to even see guys like Brody again and catch up with them and see where is Brody now or where is Allison now, you know, where is Holden now? Like catching up with those characters is just such a pure joy in so many different ways that it really made 
me who's been a fan for a long time really just appreciate it and yeah. just felt like I was kind of home. Yeah. I, I agree with a lot of that. My reaction when we were walking out of the theater, I, I was trying to put it into words. It, it's almost like the anti-MCU in a way. And what I meant by that was the MCU, it's it's an event, and obviously it's just shared universe, but it's the anti-MCU because pretty much over time, within a, with, within a week's time, you can talk to anybody in the world about a Marvel movie. You can go online and talk to everybody about a Marvel it's, it's movie. Those movies aren't a secret right? Uh, once they're out. It's, it's, not, it's not really like a, a tight-knit... Like, it's tight-knit, but it's not like an underground club, if you will. Absolutely not. It, it's not. not an underground thing. And these movies, uh, from what I've learned the past couple of weeks, definitely are. It's only for a select group of people. And Kevin Smith is extremely aware of that. So, some, you know, people in the movie community ask, if I take my girlfriend who's never seen a Marvel movie to go see Infinity War, like, is she going to get it compared to a Kevin Smith movie? Yes, she'll be fucking fine. But this... <laughs> Like, I would never, ever in a million years recommend to a new... Could you literally do it physically? Yeah. Somebody who's never seen a Kevin Smith movie could physically do this. Do this, yeah. But I would never, ever, ever recommend it because this might as well have been, like, fan service the movie. And a lot of what you spoke to, it, it's just for us. Right, 100%. It, it, and I, maybe I shouldn't even say us because it's just for you and this group that you belong to since you were in sixth grade. And that's the vibe that I got sent there, man. And it just made it that much more special. You know, at the very beginning of the movie, Kevin and Jason are actually on there for five minutes just going back and forth talking about what it was like to make the movie and prep for it and things like that. And it's like... It was just this really cool event and experience that was so singular and unlike anything else that I've ever, I've ever shared with somebody in the theater. And I give that all the credit in the world. And I loved it so much because of that. And it, it's funny because maybe you think fan service isn't the greatest thing in the world, or maybe that's not what that's not what you should use to grade. A fantastic movie. I don't know if this is like the... This isn't my favorite Kevin Smith movie. It's not... I don't I don't know if I love it. I like it a lot. And I respect it a lot in the way that I've respected all of these films lately. But it was just, at the end of the day, fucking entertaining and enjoyable. And I had a blast I because mean, of it. We were laughing the entire time. I don't think that there was really any lulls in yeah. our time in the theater, which is really in and of itself speaks to the quality of the film and what it was doing. And in a lot of ways, fan service has become like this really weirdly poisonous word. But I think that when fan service is done correctly, it's absolutely one of the best things that you can get out of a movie. And I felt like this film specifically was made with that in mind because it was like these characters and Kevin Smith's whole career wouldn't, exist without the fans and he wanted to give them a love letter and he also wanted to give his universe a love letter because right. his universe has continued to really push him in such interesting directions and the one thing I will say about this film that I liked a lot in a lot of little things in a lot of little ways as far as fan service goes he managed to tie 
literally every film he's ever made into this one universe, whether it was meta done in dialogue or by bringing characters in that you were not expecting to see. This, no other filmmaker could do what he did. No. Like, when you think about the actually the actual DNA of what makes up this movie, it kind of just goes from Jay and Silent Bob are proxies, and they go from scene to scene, and it's kind of like what famous person, whether they're depicting themselves or not, are we going to see in this scene? Or what actor who's played in another Kevin Smith movie can we run into? And that's just what every single sequence is like. And when any other movie in the world does that, more often than not, that's really all they have. Like a movie 43 or something like that. Or like a shitty, I don't know, parody movie that just uses celebrity. Like, no, Fucking epic movie and shit yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah like it, movies can't pull it off the way that I believe Kevin Smith does and did in this movie. And, and I don't think that's all he has either. It, it's, it's more than that. Like we've talked about already some of... Uh, I don't want to give some of it away. I'll make sure to no. talk about the people that are actually shown in the trailer. So I think just about was, everyone is. Uh, there's a couple. There's a couple. Yeah, there's a couple that aren't. But I think but, for the most part. But like, so we see a great scene with Ben Affleck, and he he is meta in it, and he's self aware, and he's a Ben Affleck that we don't get to see usually. Even when Ben Affleck's being Ben Affleck on Jimmy Kimmel, it's like it's not the same. No, as what we got here. And he crushed it. Jason Lee um, coming back. There's, It was always good to be... It always felt good to be where we were as this movie went along uh, for, for so many of those reasons. And I, I don't know... You, you talked about how Reboot seems to be unlike uh, Strike Back. Um, I think we're kind of forgetting... And this is a tool. I don't think it's a downgrade by any means. But he kind of had a similar... 22 jump street approach where sure. it's like you kind of have to he even referenced the force awakens he's like i'm gonna make this movie and take the dna of strike back but also make it 19 years later like cleverly embrace the fact that we kind of have to like it's a cut copy and paste kind of job here and i really i think that, i really do think that's smart i know i 100 percent agree if, with if you. you're aware of it and you're still able to at least enjoy the movie then then you can pull it off. And, and I think he did pull it off. And I kind of love the detours it takes where you're expecting it to go one way because you know Strike Back, and it kind of zags in a different direction that you might not have expected. I always right. liked little things like that. And again, a credit to him getting so many of his cast back. Like, it was such a treat, one, and this one's random, but again, this goes to the kind of credit that I was talking about of him tying his movies together. When he brought Justin Long back, he plays his character from Zack and Mary. And this was a question I had last night. He confirmed on uh, he confirmed on Variety in this video he did that yes, that is his character from Zack and Mary. He That's was able cool. to bring him back. Um, Jen Schwalbach, his wife, she's in it, and she plays Miss McKenzie again, who is her character from Yoga Hosers. Like he's found so little which one's ways. That? Huh? The when they go to the movies. Okay. His wife is the manager. So she that character is in Zack and Mary. She's in Yoga Hosers. Or Yoga Hosers. Yes. Okay. And so it's the same character. So he found little ways to tie his other films in and even in dialogue, like managed to make cop out a part of this universe, even though 
he didn't obviously bring any characters from it, but Cop Out exists in this universe. And it was just cool for him to do that. But the singular vision of having that Kevin or that Ben Affleck scene, Mm. a scene that never existed while the movie was shooting, a scene that came at the very last minute because of an interview in Entertainment Weekly. You know, Ben Affleck was doing promo for Triple Frontier and he was asked by one of the people from Entertainment Weekly, hey, have they asked you to be in Reboot? And he goes, no, no one's reached out to me and I'm literally not doing anything. And Kevin was afraid to even reach out because their friendship had fallen apart. And so that interview pushed him to reach out and to have Ben come in and for Kevin to write this very specific coda to Chasing Amy that is so fucking moving and so wonderful and arguably one of the best things he's ever done as a filmmaker is really kind of incredible. I don't want to I don't want to spoil it, but that scene is also like very like pivotal to Jay. Right. as well. So that I I'm kind of shocked that that was a last minute addition. I mean, maybe they had another version of some of that dialogue somewhere else. I I actually wonder if some of the dialogue may have originally come from Banky because Banky isn't in the movie. Like that's not a spoiler. He's just not in it. And I was wondering why they would be rebooting Jay and Silent Bob and he wasn't around. Right. Um, But regardless, that scene is so incredible. And Ben just like, he just does what Ben Affleck does when he's with Kevin Smith. He's the most natural when he's with him. Right. And it's just, like I said, I mean, I love chasing Amy, so it's just a really great kind of coda or epilogue in a way to that story. When you watch movies for the first time, is your brain turned off or are you the kind of guy that is like always guessing what's going to happen next? No, I turn it off, man. I want to enjoy the movie. So you and I are on the same page. Like, when I'm watching a movie, unless the movie's like bad, sure. Very few times am I in the middle of a movie like, oh, that's what they're about to do. Um, I'm a, I'm an idiot when I watch movies, and I'm thankful for it because I don't think it's any fun at all to guess what's going to happen at the end of a movie. So I'm glad I I don't anticipate things. But there were a couple of jokes that kind of like deliberately show put on display that it does mimic strike back a lot there's a comment about um certain characters wearing skin tight suits and i was like oh wait that's a callback and then there's uh a joke that pays off talking about how uh nowadays movies remakes add diversity or whatever so when those two things are said out loud those are the kind of cues and i'm like oh my god that is a lot like strike back so I guess my ultimate point is that it didn't it didn't take away from it and I think that's another reason why it was so clever. It's kind of I kind of didn't know that I was watching the same DNA, but it but it works. And uh you know, to speak negatively for a second, it's really not that big of a deal. But I told you, I thought the introduction to uh Harley Harley's character was like the only bad thing that made me wince in the movie. Like, there was never a moment where, like, a joke fell flat to me. Not that I laughed at every joke, but right. I wasn't, like, disgusted by how bad any of the humor was. Like, the only time I was like, eh, I don't know, was that first scene with Harley. Because I just didn't get what she was doing. I didn't get what the character was doing. And the more context I had throughout the movie, she 
I, I learned more about her, but she also kind of dropped what she was doing in that scene. She was like, it was just her emotions were off or very wooden and weird. And she like was clenching her teeth when she was talking and it just kind of, it, it was, it was definitely kind of a weird performance. That's for sure. Like I, I wasn't huge on that in the beginning, but I thought she got very, very good to great towards the end. Uh, especially with some of her scenes with Jason Mewes were yeah. like ridiculously excellent. And that's the other thing. Like we haven't touched on it. Jason Mewes is fantastic in this movie. He is. Like, legitimately. And I don't mean that in a, oh, it's just fun to see him as Jay again. No, like, Jay gets the most to do that he's ever had in any of these movies as a character. Right. And shows the most growth that he could ever show as a character. And I think that it really pushed him in a really cool way that made revisiting this character right now specifically really, really cool. This movie is... I don't even know how to explain how meta it is. It's like meta squared. It's meta It's meta cubed times... Can you even do this? Times meta cubed. Like, it's so absurd and, like, folds in on itself so many times that, like, your head can just kind of spin when you try to, like, put it all together. And maybe that's... Maybe that's the point. Like, it, it maybe doesn't matter. You're not supposed to follow any logical rules because it's just... Like we said, the gang getting back together and having fun with each other. But um, it's like, it's so extra in that way. And I was getting so lost. And I think that's like perfect for Kevin Smith fans. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of that. Like I like the shared universe and stuff, but I, I feel like it kind of gets a little like limitless like in a bad way it almost gets away with him at, at a few times it's just not something i'll just say it's not something i connect with personally like it's not my favorite thing it can be funny like when ben affleck just when ben affleck's character references movies ben affleck is in that kind of stuff makes me laugh sure but there's a couple of uh like actual narrative decisions um that kevin smith in particular has in the movie um, that kind of just like fold in on themselves. And I know it's silly, and this might just sound like me kind of overthinking it a little bit. It's just not my favorite aspect of the movie because I want some kind of barrier somewhere because I don't think necessarily that any movie should just be able to do anything. I like having my hand held a little bit. I like some sense of rules and you know all the credit to him because I think he's actually, with his fan base, earned what he did here. Sure. It's just not my thing personally. I, and I know that there's one scene in particular that I've seen a few people point to, um, as far as the movie goes, Can you vaguely say the scene. I mean the, it's in the trailer. Uh, Loki comes back from dogma. Oh, right. And it's such a weird kind of, it's there because it can be like, it really doesn't hold any it's, narrative purpose. It's entirely useless to the movie. But other than to not worry about where Jay and Silent Bob are at that time, it's literally right. there for Loki to interrupt for like three or four minutes. But I, w- I won't even go that far just because if they didn't include that scene and there was a weird jump from where they were because the distance traveled was like New Jersey to Chicago, right? Right. So it's like, but any other movie would have just shown an establishing shot in Chicago and then they just would have been there. You know what I mean? But it's Kevin Smith. So <laughs> Kevin Smith going to Kevin Smith. Right. And I kind of also love that in that, like one, you can, again, it was like being with friends and family again, like to catch up with that character who you didn't really think about ever catching up with again. Right. And the way that they did it was 
hysterical in like the in his dialogue in the way that they set up how he ended up back on earth i thought was amazing isn't it funny how like someone like me watched thor ragnarok and just had no idea why matt damon was a part of that like sure it's funny in and of itself just because it cut to a close-up of matt damon and i'm like why the fuck like my first thought was Matt Damon wasted a Marvel role on the character who plays Loki in a play on Asgard. And like, I thought it was funny, but I was secretly like, damn it. But isn't that hilarious? How it's like, it just goes right over my head. All because you hadn't seen Dogma. Had no clue. Had no clue. And to be fair, I learned it after the fact, but still, I didn't know it at the time. I I appreciate that. Taika likes Dogma enough to have Matt Damon come play Loki in a Thor Ragnarok movie. Yeah, it's weird how many filmmakers have been influenced by Kevin Smith. Because again, like I said, I, I had this stigma and I thought a lot of people thought the way I thought that he was kind of a, a joke and not a, a prestige filmmaker. And, you know, maybe his fans don't even think that, but he's excellent at what he does. And he absolutely, that's that's my second biggest takeaway second to Ben Affleck being fantastic. My second biggest takeaway is like Kevin Smith really has honestly contributed to cinema uh, in, in the, a big way, in the man. strangest way yeah. in, the, in the biggest small way. Mm-hmm. It's so strange or the smallest big way, whatever you want to say. I, in a lot of ways, I know that mumblecore is like a really popular thing that people talk about these days as far as like a subgenre of film in a lot of ways, Kevin's kind of the birth of mumblecore with clerks just with the dialogue and things like that and the way that the characters all interact. But at the same time, I just think that Kevin opened up a world of possibilities to a lot of filmmakers who didn't think that their voice needed to be heard. Right. And it's such a specific voice. Again, look, you don't have to like the Walrus movie. No one has to like the Walrus movie. I happen to be a fan of the Walrus movie because I think it's ballsy as shit that he made it. Ooh. Like, I mean, who else is going to turn Justin Long into a Walrus? Well, no one except Kevin Smith, and he took the chance. Like, that is what I want out of a filmmaker. I want someone who's willing to take, like, just the most extreme swings. He doesn't have to hit a home run, but, man, at least he tried. You know? We don't get enough of that. There's a a lot of talk about movies being way too safe lately, and... I mean, arguably, you could point at Jay and Silent Bob Reboot for trying to be safe, Kevin going back to the thing that made him popular. But at the same time, I don't necessarily consider it safe because you're also messing with something that you, you know, that one, it made him, but two, going back to the well doesn't always work. It's always a gamble. And the movie talks about that. Like, they make fun of the fact that they're doing this because they know it may not work. And I think that that in and of itself makes it better. I've sort of changed my tune on this like recently and I think it kind of follows suit to what we've talked about before about just a movie being necessary or unnecessary and just kind of what we want to do here on this show where we're kind of just we want to play the wait and see game like it's not so much about news we just we have to see the thing before we feel right about talking about it fully and yeah the idea of like coming back the gang getting back together I mean it's not it's not something that's like, it's not a popular thing. No. Like sitcoms very rarely come back to the reunion show. They very rarely pull it off. But when it does get pulled off, it's like really sweet. And like, really special. So 
you know, it, it's it's just one of those things. It can be good, it can be bad. But I'm I'm changing my tune because I was talking about this on Sight and Sound. How like, you know, some sometimes the way we are with pop culture nowadays, sometimes you can be in like one big thing and kind of ride it out, and it can have a second life or a third life on on streaming. So it's not so much that like I don't think that stigma should look be looked down upon per se or that idea be looked down upon but it's it's just more it's like everything else we'll know it's bad if it's bad and if we like it we like it but it's not necessarily because like it shouldn't have happened because it's the gang getting back together and it's sad pathetic whatever like they pulled this off they really did and sometimes that happens and when it does happen we love it because it gets us in our feels and you know i've only been a part of this for a couple weeks you've been a part of it for years and I think you and I line up very similarly on this movie. Um, super enjoyable, super funny, super heartwarming. Like it crowd got me, pleasing. Yeah, it got and it got me right in the heart in like the right ways. Again, I'm in a really weird stage in my life, man. Like anyone who's listened to any of my content over the last you know couple of months knows like I've been dealing with stuff. We're both in Arizona now. I moved to Arizona thinking I was coming down with. They someone. go to Arizona in the movie. They, they do. They do go to Arizona in the movie. <laughs> I didn't but, know the clan was here. You know, I, I came down here thinking <laughs> I was going to be spending my time down here with someone I was married to, and that did not end up happening. Like, it's just a weird kind of thing, and in a lot of ways, the movie spoke to me in that way. Like, you don't always think that life is going to go the way that it's supposed to. And sometimes you're throwing a curveball, and how do you deal with that? Right. Like, you can totally get hit in a way that you were not expecting, and, like, how do you get back up from that in a very specific sort of way? And I very much connected to it in a very bizarre way. Yeah, that stuff is all there, just like my other favorite Kevin Smith movies, Mallrats, Chasing Amy. It's all there in a silly shell, and uh, it was a great time, man. It really, really was. I told you I felt like I was a part of some like underground club and very rarely do I feel that way. No, when I go see a movie, I mean, look at the end of the day, I think that the wizard of Oz of all movies kind of sums up how I feel. There's no place like home. Like legitimately, that's how I felt watching the movie. There's just no place like home. And for me, the view askew universe has been a comfort home for me for a very long time. It's always been there for me in the times that I've needed it. It's always spoken to me in a way that I didn't necessarily know I needed. And for me, at the end of the day, to be able to go back to that place when I am in a very different place, in a very kind of transitionary period of my life, like it's just nice sometimes to go home and be reminded that your friends and family are still there. And that they're still going to be there for you when you need it. And that's really fucking cool, man. That's really fucking special. And I don't think that people are going to look at it like that. There's going to be a lot of people who think I sound crazy when I say that. But it's fucking true. Like, you can't quantify how someone feels about a movie if you don't understand where they're coming from. Like, we talk about you need to walk in other people's shoes to understand where they're at. And what they've gone through in life. And that's why certain movies hit certain people in a certain way. I've always said that every movie is someone's favorite movie somewhere. And this isn't my favorite movie ever, but I'm not going to take shit for the fact that I really love the movie and that it really affected me in a very specific way. Uh, I recommend people see it. You are being so extra right now about this movie. I mean, my God. I fucking love the movie, man. How many houses would you give it? I would give it 
Five out of five houses. All right. I'm in between, like, I'd give it a three and a half, four houses. I'll give it a four house. Four right. house, yeah. I don't even really have anything bad to say about it. I'm going to give it a fuller house. The, the worst the worst thing I have to say about it is that, like, what? It's just not the best movie and not my favorite Kevin Smith movie, but who fucking no, cares? No, and here's the thing. Like, <laughs> uh, it's not my favorite Kevin Smith movie. Like, it's probably closer to a four. But it also but doesn't. It never has to be. Like, it exactly, just, it, just doesn't, it doesn't have to be. That's why I don't normally put, like, the rating thing on stuff anymore. Like, it's just about how I feel. Like, that, that, it's how something affects me, and this movie affected me in a very specific way. Yeah, I quit doing the rating thing on Sight and Sound forever ago, just because it's kind of nonsense. I, I don't like something so concrete, because... It's it's not that I can't change my opinion. I know that I can change my opinion over time, but some people just like they put way too much they put way too much weight into it. But also like if a film reviewer actually put all of their movies side by side, it wouldn't add up. No, like, 100%. They they look at a 3.5 movie that they've graded and rank it above a 4 because sure. they're like, "Oh, well, it didn't make a whole lot." Of, like it just it's just kind of nothing and silly. So It's it's all about how we talk about a thing. Like that's what I want people to realize yeah. when we're talking about movies, we aren't necessarily going to rate it. You know why? Because our words should speak for ourselves. Like yeah. we talked about they Gemini Man last year or last week, not last year. It kind of feels like last year, but we talked about it last week and man, like I didn't have a lot of nice stuff to say about it. And at the end of the day, it is what it is. And that's cool. Like, we didn't rate it. I thought my words spoke for themselves. I didn't think people needed to see it. Yeah. You know, like, it just is. Anything else before we head out of here? You know, man, I really hope that you enjoyed Zombieland 2. I just wanted to say that. I bet I will. I'm sure you did. I haven't I haven't seen it at the time no. that you and I are recording this, but I'm sure that... I'm pretending I'm in the future, and you're pretending right. you're in the now, and it's very fucking Well, it's going to be weird, because this episode, this is going to be the, the end of it, so... People are hearing me talk like I haven't seen Zombie Land Two, even though I've already reviewed Zombie Land. We're on the back half. Oh, I feel so special. Like I'm closing out this yeah, episode and shit. We're closing out the episode. Oh, here. That's cool. I had no idea. I'm learning new stuff on the podcast right now. Uh, I really want to hear what you guys thought about Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Man, like, just reach out. We've got Twitter. I'm at PJ underscore Campbell. This this fine gentleman is at What Up Snell. We also have Schmoes No. Go to Twitter. Let us know. I want to hear what you thought. You know, that's part of what we like to do here. I want to hear from you guys. It's, Absolutely. It's rad. Absolutely. Here's the thing. Guys, you hear podcasts hosts say that all the time. We want to hear from you guys. We actually mean it because we have a we have a nice fan base here. We've got we've got good numbers. I'm proud of them. But our interactions, the ratio of interactions to viewers, it's like astronomical. Minimal. Like, make it happen. Don't be afraid to reach out. Like, dude, if Take you the leap. if you hated Jay and Silent Bob reboot, I hope you didn't. But if you did, tell me. I want to have this conversation. Why you didn't enjoy it? You know, like let's talk about this. Let's open up those floodgates, man. Like let's talk. Let's make it happen. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at WhatUpSnell. Check out Schmoesno on Twitter. Just at Schmoesno. It's at Schmoesno Cast on Instagram. There's also a Facebook page. So Facebook.com/slash schmoes no that's a thing as well stay up to date i mean we we pretty much just post flyers and promos for all the episodes that we do there so the best way to stay up to date on everything that's going on with our schedule and what episodes are coming up is by following us on social media so please do that would greatly appreciate it anything else before i hit nah man just follow me on twitter pj underscore campbell instagram same thing find the pj campbell show wherever podcasts are sold i love all of you thank you for listening rate and review the show on itunes
Yeah, that's right. Rate and review on iTunes and listen to Sight and Sound. All right. Take it easy.